is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is November the 15th, 2019. Strong hand. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. In motion. These guys are in motion. Whoa. One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Offended by selling. Unconfiscable. These two dudes, they've got conviction. We've all got conviction. Hello, my elite friends. We got you some elite guests. They haven't been on the show before, but they got some deep Venezuelan connections. And you know what? In the Bitcoin space, everyone tries to talk about what's going on in Venezuela, but it's like all third hand type of stuff. These guys, they're down with it. Okay, we got Mauricio of Ledin. He is in Toronto this second, but he grew up in Venezuela. And we got Javier Bestardo here. He's in the belly of the beast in Caracas right now. Oh man, oh man, welcome to the show, guys. This is gonna be a great This Week in Bitcoin. We're gonna talk about Bitcoin, uh, all sorts of stuff, and Venezuela. So let's start it off with uh, like, what's going on with Venezuela. I'm gonna start with a quote from uh, Mauricio, from a, a tweet of his. Now these guys are linked to below. Follow them on Twitter, they got some insight. I can't believe what I am seeing. Maduro talks for one hour about how he wants to turn Venezuela into a crypto powerhouse, touting grants and credits to crypto entrepreneurs using his Petro scheme. Dystopia is here. Okay, Javier, what is the does the Petro actually exist? <laughs> What's going on down there? Well, hello, Adam. Thanks for having me here. Um, yeah, yeah. The Petro actually exists, but not like, you know, like Bitcoin, not, not like that kind of existence, more like a tool, more like a, a dystopian tool and government tool to control us. So, yeah, that's it, but it's a little pain, you know. Uh, who, what's it built on top of, or uh, obviously it's centralized and it's there to keep track of you. I mean, do you, do you have it in your possession actually? Have you actually played around with it at all? Oh, personally, I, I don't have any Petro. So the approach that I have is because some friends of mine have a little portion of Petro so I can know how they are using it. Like they're receiving as government bonuses. So it's a little weird to have Petros. You, you can buy it in national exchange, but we don't know those fellas, you know? The, the, the CEO for, of those exchange, don't see don't show their face in public you know and so can can you use the petro to buy real things can, can you actually is it used as a medium of exchange <clears throat> yes and in this in this point you know many things could be used as the medium of exchange so we have the hot potato as the with the bolivar and now we have a crypto hot potato with the Petro and maybe they will for, force us to use it. But you know, mm, to be a medium of exchange isn't, isn't enough to be named as a cryptocurrency, you know? And it's 
This is just a tool to control the economy of the country, to control in a more powerful or more sophisticated way over us. You know? yeah, yeah, but the, I, the one thing I, I try to look at things in a positive life, light, and you just said the word sophistication. If people learn how to use this thing, to use this Petro, it'll get them one step closer to the Bitcoin, right? Yes, and as, as a Bitcoin, Bitcoin believer, you know, um, I think that if people get familiar with the use of the Petro and, you know, with wallets, with um, exchange platforms, maybe it's a new way to get in touch with Bitcoin because it's the original one and I don't think that many people that will face that Petro is for control, that Petro is centralized, will keep the Petro as the main crypto asset. Now, now one, oh, sorry, continue. We will be working or, or trans, transiting or moving to Bitcoin in, in a while. I, I don't think that the, the people will keep the Petro as the main crypto asset here as we don't do it neither with the Bolivar, no? Is it worth more than a Bolivar, a Petro? Yes, a, a Petro worth like six sixty US dollars. Then if this is if <laughs> then isn't this keeping Maduro in power longer? He's able to print his own cryptocurrency. That's extending yes. Yeah, yes, that, exactly, exactly. so it's working. It's it's working. What he's <laughs> unbelievable. This is the power of cryptocurrency. Wow, pound that like button. Uh, Mauricio, your thoughts on this situation? Um, I mean, I largely agree with Javier. I've seen the, the Petro. Um, I want to say, so the Petro's had two versions of the white paper. Uh, the first iteration of it, uh, actually there's been material changes between one and the other. Uh, and I want to basically tell you a little bit about my research up to now because in preparation for this, I basically did a lot of digging, uh, trying to essentially uh, get my hands on a potentially instance of a Petro node or, or which figure out which blockchain the Petro was running on and try to get some get some visibility on some wallets. Uh, so the first, first I'll start with the white paper. The first white paper was stipulated as an ERC-20 token and it was backed by a finite number of barrels with a specified field as a reserves. The second version of the white paper uh, then went on to say it would be on the NEM blockchain and that it would be, it, that it would be backed by a basket of commodities uh, that the government could choose and replace at any one time and that you have to basically trust the Venezuelan government. Um, today, it's very, very hard to basically check or verify anything on the Petro blockchain as a whole. I, I do see that I, I have confirmed the same way Javier has that people have transacted in it and that you can see uh, some, you know, transactions that you can see the, the transactions debit and credited in the, in the blockchain. I myself hadn't, haven't been able to get there because I think it's very important for us to keep track of the issuance schedule for this because if this is on an actual blockchain, they're basically shooting themselves in the foot because now we're going to be able to track every governor, every mayor, 
every, you know, every person who actually gets these Petros, corrupt as they may be, which they will be, uh, we are now actually going to have some visibility on that corruption, which is beautiful. Uh, and I actually don't think they actually know that this is going to happen, uh, or they're not quite aware that, that this is actually the case with the blockchain. Uh, but they, so to your point, the, the point that you just made exactly, this is a control tool and this is a, uh, in my view and the view of other Venezuelans, this is a way, uh, and it says it in the, in the white paper in the, in the actual law that decrees the petrol into being, uh, there's some very interesting uh, quotes and points that essentially says that the Sunacrip, which is the, ent the entity that regulates the petrol uh, and the issuance, sits outside the central bank. And only has a requirement to collaborate with the central bank to talk about the petro and the issuance of the petro. So Maduro has now a way to bypass the central bank to print crypto, to print actually like worthless funds that now don't even have to be printed with actual ink and paper. They just, he can just make it into being with a with click uh, and send it to his wife. So he already started airdropping things. Uh, he already started having like, uh, um, these tech shows, tech fairs, which was the reason for my original tweet that you quoted at the beginning, was him walking around in this, call it like consensus, like Venezuelan <laughs> Petro, like, you know, trade show. Uh, and there were some people who, obviously in Venezuela, there's a lot of hungry entrepreneurs, a lot of comp side grads, a lot of people that are looking at them, and not a lot of people have the opportunity to get on a plane and reestablish themselves elsewhere. And so they see in this a way to get a grant. They see in this a way to get a, you know, a, a angel funding for their business and they can build this great tech. And, you know, given the resources and the options that they have, it's, you know, I, I don't, I'm not surprised that you're constantly going to have people that are going to be willing to do this. Um, but yeah, uh, that, that, that's right. I mean, I'll stop, I'll, I'll stop there because I, you know, I, we can go about this forever, but uh, uh, that, that's really kind of my, my two cents. It's better than the boulevard. I mean, and it's, uh, it, it, he's, again, unfortunately, it's working. Uh, it's strengthening the regime. If people are getting, uh, you know, they're, they're hungry young entrepreneurs out there. You're not going to do anything with the boulevard. Why not do this if they're giving it away for free? And there seems like there's, there, there, there's opportunity. Uh, wow. Uh, that, that is a, a very, very interesting situation. I, I really haven't heard all this yet. So, uh, I'm I'm reacting. <laughs> you can see uh, Javier. Do, do you have any any thoughts on on what uh, Mauricio just said? Any anything to add to to the situation? And I mean, where do you see this ending? Where where do you see it going? Progressing to? Well, uh, yes. Mm, that that was a kind of you know crypto event with many entrepreneurs of the. Venezuelan crypto movement, like, yeah, they shaking hands with the dictator and receiving credit in Petro, or, you know, uh, smiling and giving him a dress or like a gift that like, you know, I, I sent a, a tweet about that and dress or after that, published a, 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 an official statement about the that they're not linked with anybody on that crypto event and this is very weird you know we we are pushing bitcoin as an option and talking with people about bitcoin about how it could help 
us as citizens to overcome this authoritarian government and then uh, they are pushing their own narrative like crypto will save us crypto is the new way to liberate our economy to defeat trump you know they are pushing a crypto narrative that could help us to maintain the power you know the the ultimate goal of the government is just hold the power and well keep keep us keep us little and control it uh, uh, but by the way you sent out i'm going to send that tweet it's going to be in the notes section of maduro holding a trezor package unbelievable yes you were about to add there mauricio no i, I just got to say like to javier's point growing up there and javier can attest to this the Venezuelan government's main job, as far as I've been around, the way they've managed to stay in power for so long is confusion. Confusion, confusion, confuse the people. And to, to Javier's point, you know, you have companies like, you know, like ourselves, like Satoshi Venezuela, like, you know, AirTM, there's like, there's Coinbase trying to send money to Venezuela. Like everyone's trying to help Venezuela through Bitcoin and airdrops and all these things. And there, you know, and the people outside, they're looking at media, they're looking at Twitter, they're like, okay, this is a, this is a, you know, futuristic technology that, that has like some benefits for Venezuela. And along comes the government and sequesters that narrative and says, oh yeah, of course, this is what's going to help us. And guess what? We made it better. Here's the petrol. And the people are going to start using the petrol and the petrol is going to go to crap. And, and when people are looking at the petrol and they're going to say, what is this crypto thing? This crypto thing sucks, blah, blah, blah. And the government's going to say, listen, this isn't our fault. Like we were trying our best. This crypto thing isn't really what it's made out to be. Um, we're just going to wait. We wouldn't go find the next thing. And people are going to be like, oh, the government tried their hardest. And that's really like the, what we're up against. Whoa, <laughs> that is, that's an interesting scenario. And it, it works for on a lot of people, I guess. <laughs> that, that I, because people keep repeating the same mistakes again and again. In, and it's not just in Venezuela. It's in Argentina. It's in other other countries. Repeat the same. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, Ecuador. Actually, uh, I mean we, we we can start talking about it in a second. I do want to uh, point out, Javier, you you are hosting uh, meetups there. You're hosting Bitcoin meetups now. So how how has that been going? Yes, uh, I, I, I've been working as a journalist, a crypto journalist, you know, like back in three years, we, uh, in January 2020, I will be uh, working in this space by like three years. So I think that I can help the people to maybe learn a little faster about bitcoin maybe to know about bitcoin and that's why i'm pushing bitcoin only meetups to to well uh, help the people to investigate to search about bitcoin and that's why i'm doing this because no. you know as the government has no, As the didn't. government has 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 his own own cryptocurrency, we can use Bitcoin as as a powerful tool to us, you know. And I I, I bet there's some people that uh, will you maybe you can people can use their petro to get Bitcoin. 
it, it would be unfortunate if someone had Bitcoin and gave it up for a Petro. That's what you're teaching people not to do. But uh, you, you're, it's, let me see the name of uh, I, Satoshi in Venezuela meetup event. Uh, I, I linked to that Twitter account. Now you say it's a Bitcoin only. You're obviously a, a Bitcoin hardcore guy. Have you seen the Dash people that give out the Dash there? I, I've heard different things about them. What's your take on that? Well, <clears throat> Dash ha, has a lot of marketing here. Uh, first, I work as a journalist, so I, ha I had to talk directly with them, with many people that work with the marketing of Dash here in Venezuela. I talk with the people in the ground, so they are trying to push the adoption and the, the dash use, but they are not educating people about money, about economics, they just doing marketing. And many projects that have received um, resource uh, money from the DAO, well, they don't end well. So <laughs> they, they're talking about corruption, like the people that received the dash from the DAO didn't make their work, or like people are talking like the dash is centralized and they didn't fund projects and it's a little mess to be honest okay they have tricky numbers they have um projects that don't work as expect um it, they're pushing a narrative like many other cheap coiners are doing here because venezuela is a good laboratory but if you are not in the ground if you're not working with the people trying to help the people will not use your currency. You do prefer to use Bolivars because if Dash is too complex or is too difficult to use, I, I do prefer to pay with Bolivars. And this is not the main goal of Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies in this scenario. We're facing hyperinflation. You know, we, we don't need uh, other money that will lose its value or we don't need that shit. Yeah, yeah, sorry. You, you have, you've actually said what another guest from Venezuela once said, like, we're trying to save, our, we're not interested in spending here, we're interested in saving. So if we're gonna spend, we're gonna spend the horrible boulevard. We're gonna get rid, we're gonna get rid of the boulevard. Why do we need a, a better boulevard? It's, uh, you're, you're not in your head up there, uh, Mauricio, uh, when we were talking about Dash, you have something to add. Well, no, no, the Dash, I, I leave Javier speak because I think he has a much better vantage point. I, I echo a lot of what he said just from what I've been observing. Uh, but I, I've been, uh, you know, uh, I've had to be out of the country for the last two years. So I, I, I leave it to him to sort of give the better impression of what's happening there now. And I think that's fairly accurate based on everything that I've read. Um, the way I'm nodding my head about is this idea of spending and, and people with this whole concept of like, oh, Venezuelans want to be able to like, you know, quickly process a transaction and get a quick confirmation. I'm like, uh, no, that, that's to Javier's point exactly. It's like, we don't need another thing we have to spend. Like that thing already, we have to hot potato it. The second we take it, we touch it, we have to get rid of it. Um, 
and and I say this because not not to do this as a shameless plug. Like the idea, a lot of the idea behind that end, which is Bitcoin, dollar loans backed by Bitcoin, was because I I actually every time to protect my bolivares, you would take money out from the bank, you would borrow bolivares on spot, and you would buy dollars, and that's essentially how you would short the bolivar. You take a loan. You would buy dollars, you would wait for time to go by, you would convert back literally a fraction of what you borrowed, and then the loan will be paid off and you could borrow it again. And this idea of borrowing crappy money backed by a hard asset is a brilliant concept. Uh, and, and so to us, we're, you know, when, when we were growing our Bitcoin businesses, it was like selling your Bitcoin for dollars is the worst investment ever long term because if you just held it, you would have done great. So this concept of borrowing against your hard assets is huge. And this is the kind of products that we're trying to push with Javier because we, we're actually one of the main supporters of Satoshi in Venezuela. We love their project, we love what they're doing. And, and everything that we built was essentially to help people save Bitcoin, not spending. Like people don't, you know, the, the main need for people that are in these environments is to save. And that's what Bitcoin does really well. Yes, I, I am offended by selling Bitcoin. Pound that like button, everyone. Okay, now we're gonna we're gonna quickly move away from Venezuela, and I just get we'll get a little political here because you 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 two guys will have opinions. Everyone's first of all, I, I really love hearing news straight from Venezuela. I, I maybe at the end of the show we can talk about what you guys think about the news that that Americans hear about Venezuela. I mean, we read about it in CoinDesk. Some of this coin desk stuff is like fourth-hand knowledge. It's I don't know where the where they get. I don't know why they just don't get like you guys on the show or <laughs> interview got you guys. But um, also what's been going on in, in South America? There's a we just have what's going on in Ecuador, um, and we have what's going on in Chile, and we have what's going on in Argentina. These are three separate stories. But I can, can you both of you quickly address uh, the, the those three countries? And I know it's beyond the cryptocurrency type of thing. Uh, well, we'll start with Mauricio. Yeah, so I'll touch first on uh, Argentina. Uh, then we can touch on Chile and Ecuador. I'm not quite familiar with, but Bolivia is is. Oh, sorry, sorry, Bolivia. Yeah. I just got confused. <laughs> no, no worries. But I, but I am very well. Uh, I, I have been doing a lot of reading, especially recently around Bolivia, and uh, so I'm more than happy to comment at least on my from my humble opinion. Uh, so as far as Argentina, it's it's. It's really difficult to um, bring in a, a call it right-wing capitalist regime or, or mandate that, that has to have uh, you know, fiscal responsibility and has to make some hard decisions. That, that was always a challenge. Like everyone knew going into a Macri uh, term after the Kishners that it was gonna be an uphill battle. Uh, and it, it so was, uh, Macri got his IMF. Uh, he tried really hard to basically push his agenda, but then you always have the left wing. What happened was that because it was a very elect, it was a very democratic transition in Argentina. The losing party at the time, Cristina Kirchner, was not thrown in jail. Like her her trials and all that stuff lasted forever. So much so that she was able to be a vice president candidate for this new guy uh, after this new term. So it is very hard to push a regime of austerity and fiscal responsibility when you have another party in the back rallying around the country saying you're gonna get free money, you're gonna get free money. Just vote for me, you get free money. And that, that's impossible. It's an impossible thing because you have to educate people and you can't educate people in five years. And so Argentina on that side is very, and to me, I, I see a potential future state in Venezuela, right? Where 
if you get a right wing president, then you're going to have a bunch of guys that are just going to be like, let's just wait it out, guys. Just wait it out and tell people they get free money. And then in six years, we get our shot. And, and that's really what you see in LATAM, right? Like you, you go left, right, left, right, left, right. Uh, and then that brings me to uh, you know, Bolivia. Bolivia is uh, a, a place where, from what I've been reading, the work Evo Morales did was far better for the people than Chavez himself. Uh, the problem with Evo Morales was that, well, he, A, he, he rewrote the constitution. That's a, that's a huge red flag, in my opinion, after I saw Chavez do it. Uh, so the guy rewrites the constitution, gets two term limits. Then he, notwithstanding that, he gets a special exemption to run on a third term, wins that term. And then when people really lost it was when he tried to run again for his fourth term. And people said, no, 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 I don't want you to run for the fourth term. He ran anyway, he won anyway. And then the protests just broke out. And the military in Bolivia had a modicum of independence. And they told the guy, you're a crook. And he got on a plane and left. Uh, that, that was, that's my interpretation uh, on that. And then Chile, I, I, I'm not, Chile puzzles me. I, I mean, I, I do understand, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, this is a bigger question here. I've been to Chile. It's run great, very capitalistic. It seems to me that some of the people got a little spoiled there and they want free stuff. So they, and now they're jealous of some people that are successful, but lots of people are pretty successful there. I mean, when I was there, and again, it was a year ago, exactly, the, the, the college kids, they're always angry about everything. They got communist signs up all over the place. But the, like, there are a lot of Bitcoiners who are like cheering this on. I don't think anyone should be cheering this on. They want to take away people's wealth. And you guys have seen what happened. Okay, yeah, please. Yeah. Do not cheer on what's happening in Chile. I mean, I, 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 mind you, I want to caveat that by saying I'm not Chilean. I didn't grow up in Chile, and I don't want this to be me dismissing potential issues that may be actually occurring in Chile, because I'm sure no government is perfect and there are sectors of society that are not probably getting the best. Having said that, I think Chile should have taken a page from all the learning lessons in every other country in the continent where we, every, every single one of us failed. Every single one of us failed. Even Venezuela with the largest oil reserves and oil reserves in the world. And they're still asking for it. And it's just to me, I mean, I get it. You, you might want to improve pensions a little bit. You might want to improve, you know, transportation here and there. But the cost is way too high, if you ask, in my opinion. Like the cost of asking for that kind of government is just way too high. And to go that violence, because that's the thing, right? Like, you know, I hate to say this, but like when it goes between left and right and things get radical left and radical right, the radical right just gets on a plane and leaves because they work really hard. And generally speaking, they have some money. The radical left is like, we'll die on this hill, you know, like, and, and they'll go out and they'll throw things and they'll get violent and it'll be very hard. Right. So, I mean, maybe I'm blanket stating too much. So I'll, I'll take back no, a second. No, it's, now, it's a good, I like this analysis. Uh, Javier, what's, what are your thoughts? Uh, Bitcoiners shouldn't be cheering on what's going on in Chile. What's, what's, what's your take on those three countries, if any? Well, as uh, again, as as a reporter, I, I have many connections, and I know Chilean people that said that the people is maybe a little tired, maybe a little upset about the government issues because they are facing very high life cost, like you 
could work as as a bastard as as me you know but you don't get enough money to pay for your things and people uh, between the two narrative about maybe i can give you free stuff or you have to work harder maybe are choosing to um, take the free stuff and maybe think a little about that kind of way to make the country go and you know the rage people are really upset because the old people in Chile are kind of dying because they have a little low pay or the young people that work with 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 a monthly paycheck didn't have enough money to pay and if you have this narrative about I will give you free money will you free stuff you know it's it's like like the way that Chavez gets the power here no like will keep things to the poor people and help the poorest and you know And I I can talk about the thing that the people in Chile are thinking about their situation because it's a particular context that they have their historical problems that they have a different approach as as we do but we are yeah you know like worried because we have friends we have family my girlfriend is from uh, her parents are from chile her family is there and many of my friends have migrated to chile so we're more concerned than than happy because people are turning up uh, and, and bolivia and other countries i think that Well, you can hold the power forever. Yeah, like we we are facing the two different governments of uh, the same chavismo, but in Bolivia, Evo can can simply do the same thing to keep going and going and going and winning. And the people just can have you forever as a king and they have, a stronger institution that are more more separated you know like the military could help the other people and well and in Argentina well every new that I read about Argentina makes me feeling home <laughs> like <laughs> it Like when you read news and you see, and I've talked with other Venezuelans that are there, you know that they're they say that, geez, this this seems like uh, five years ago in in Venezuela when the prices begin to skyrocket, but it's the the many beginning and with the new adventure of the case could be a little worst so 
I, I will say this, you, you both said that these uh, leaders try to uh, gain power by offering free stuff. Hey, it's the same thing that happens in Canada and the United States also. That, that's, <laughs> that's what's going on in politics too. They're, they're offering all sorts of free stuff. I also want to point out that when I was in Santiago and I would go to the big market they had there, there were quite a few stands that had Venezuelan flags at, on them of guys who used to live in Venezuela and they got out of there. They wanted to live in a freer, you know, in a, in a capitalistic society. So it is, I can see why your connections in Chile would be disturbed by the situation going on there because they, they came to Chile to, to, to get away from, from such things, you know, to, to live a, a freer life. So I, I just want to make a quick comment. My mom made, made, makes a joke that says that moving countries in Latam trying to escape communism is like moving rooms in the Titanic trying to escape sinking. <laughs> Found that life. But, uh, it's, that, that, that's, uh, it's unfortunate. I, I was always a believer that it would not, well, I thought from what I knew that it couldn't happen in Chile. And it hasn't happened in Chile. But they, I mean, they had a, millions of people just in the street. We'll see how that We'll see how that progresses. All right, so let's 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 move. A lot of people wanted to hear about the, you know, we've got Latin American uh, guys here, so we, we had to talk about that. So let's move on to your your uh, what you're doing up there in uh, Toronto, Mauricio, and uh, we're gonna get cut off in a second, but don't worry, we'll continue. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, so what is this? Tell us about Latin, and I'll I'll give you my thoughts and everything, and, and you and yeah. Javier, you can tell us too. Yeah. yeah, sure. So when I came, so I was I. I I got into Bitcoin in Venezuela when I, I learned about Bitcoin as a product of the Venezuelan situation. Uh, my brother, uh, punctually, was, was graduating university. He was looking to start up a business, but no business was making any sense. Uh, and he pitched me this idea of mining Bitcoin. And this was back in 2014. Um, that's the first time I ever got exposed to Bitcoin. And so when I learned about it and I saw how Venezuelans were using it and how mining was helping a ton of people earn income, uh, and a lot of people relocate to countries like Chile and Argentina and Venezuela. Uh, I thought I, I immediately fell in love with what the concept was. And uh, my, my, my goal was really to, my, the dream was always to build up a, a bigger company, a bigger platform that could help people save in Bitcoin. From my experiences in Bitcoin businesses, I always had a, a really challenging time growing my businesses without selling my Bitcoin. Uh, and uh, it, it was very hard to essentially do anything that would require growing or investing without having to sell your Bitcoin. So to me, the, the biggest pain point uh, that I saw was people selling their Bitcoin because they had a, you know, an immediate short-term need or whatever. So it was very difficult to essentially, once you acquired the Bitcoin and you wanted to keep growing your business or, or keep getting, getting more Bitcoin, uh, it was very difficult for you not to have to sell them, uh, right? Or to get, and to get liquidity with the Bitcoin, nobody was doing it. Um, when uh, <clears throat> I was, I was uh, living in Canada at the time, half in Canada, half in Venezuela, uh, I, I started mining in Venezuela basically uh, very early in 2015. And then when I saw people go through the same problem as they were trying to get more miners, they would send the Bitcoins to Bitmain, Bitcoin would rally tremendously, they would lose out all the gains, they were very frustrated. When the machines arrived, the difficulty was very high. And so this, this kept happening, not just mining, but any Bitcoin businesses. And um, when I was in Canada, I was looking at it and I was trying to set up mines here in Canada and I was going around like banks and, and you know, institutions that would give you liquidity trying to get a loan back by my Bitcoin. Uh, and I couldn't get anyone to do it. Uh, and the other companies that I knew that were doing this were using tokens and had done ICOs. Uh, and so to me, I was like, okay, 
I, I, I'm, I'm a, I come from structured finance. I, I know regulators and I think you have to really respect them, especially if you're gonna have a financing business. Uh, so we're gonna try to make a compliant, you know, fully above board, transparent uh, lender co lending company that can essentially have a different, uh, uh, talk to institutions, get really cheap dollars and lend them to people so that they don't have to sell their Bitcoins. And because Bitcoin is the same in Venezuela as in Canada, as in Colombia, we'll be able to standardize the levels of rates and services that we offer. And uh, that was really our first product, which was our, our, our sort of, uh, the, you know, our main product, which is Bitcoin backed loans. And that's what we do today. Uh, we worked very hard once we launched in Canada to make the product available in Venezuela and Colombia and the other countries where I knew it could have a huge impact. And we launched that in June of this year. Uh, and then since then, we've essentially been working on letting people know that we exist and people have been using our services, uh, it, which has been really amazing. Um, uh, so actually, Javier has, has actually chatted to some of them. Uh, so, but yeah, people, people benefit. We get some really great stories for, about people who use their funds for. But uh, yeah, and then from there, we built a Bitcoin savings account, which gives people interest in their Bitcoin if they don't have a loan, if they don't need the liquidity or they need to access a loan. Um, and then recently, we just launched B2X. Uh, which is a product that people use to get more Bitcoin. So that's the our suite of services. Uh, and, and really our mission is to just help people save in Bitcoin. Now there's, there's all sorts of, I would think there's all sorts of regulation in Canada. Was it hard to set this up there? I mean, it's, it's, it seems like you're doing some complex things. Yeah, so Canada, the, the regulator body here is called FinTrack. FinTrack is coming up with a, a, a full set of legislations, which requires companies to register as money service businesses. Uh, we have been participants in the consultations from FinTrack to draft this legislation. So we're very much involved. We want this to happen. Um, we've had some bad instances here in Canada uh, of companies that weren't really doing things the right way. And, uh, and because of that, they just created a taint on the name. So we as an industry are really pushing to get a, a framework uh, that we can all work with. And frankly speaking, as a, as a company that has to deal with institutions, institutions don't like gray. They like black and white. Uh, so you, you need to have a framework to allows, that allows companies like us to keep getting cheaper funds uh, from larger parties and make it available to Bitcoiners worldwide. Okay, now you said so, there are people in Venezuela that have done business with you then. Yes. That, all right, so they, they have the Bitcoin and you give them a loan. Yes. And, and what's the loan denominated in? What type of... Uh, it's in dollars. So it's the in loan is denominated in dollars. Uh, they can choose to receive it in the funds that they wish. We also work with DAI for disbursements because some people don't have US dollar bank accounts yeah. uh, and they want to get stable coins. Uh, so that was really the reason we started doing stablecoin disbursements with DAI. And uh, that's people use the funds to, you know, generally speaking, pay down higher cost debt, reinvest in uh, their businesses. Uh, starting new businesses is a big one uh, and diversifying. So some people have a lot of Bitcoin and they just want to buy another asset, but not sell it. So the, these guys, they have some Bitcoin and then they let you guys control the Bitcoin and you, they get dollars for it. Yes. And we offer real-time proof of reserves on our loans. That's very important because that we're one of the only companies that does that in the world, which is that when you send a, a Bitcoin to us as collateral for a loan, it sits on a cold vault address that you can see at all times and you can ping at all times. So you, it, it is with us in our custody, but you can check that it's there, that we're not moving it, that we're not doing anything with it. And then when you pay the loan back, you get the exact same UTXOs. Yeah, so there, there definitely is demand for such a, I mean, all sorts of people are, are coming up with 
ideas like this. As everyone knows, I'm not, you know, I say control your own private key, hold your Bitcoin. That, that's what I do. But hey, I've got guests on the show that say, I mean, he, that's the business that he runs. So he's, you gave, are Americans, can you do business with Americans? Uh, yeah, we're live in four U.S. states. Uh, we've had, so depending on the states, the thresholds are different in which we can operate based on regulations. Uh, but yeah, we do have U.S. clients. Uh, we have clients in Mexico. We have clients in Argentina, uh, Colombia. Uh, we have some European countries as well. Canada, obviously, it's, it's our biggest market. Uh, but yeah, it's been growing quite fast uh, in the places that we are allowed to essentially uh, service and, and promote. Uh, it's been doing really well. well I, I give you are you're definitely in motion. You're you're satisfying uh, demand of of certain types of clients. It's not I, I'm not that type of a Bitcoin holder. But what what can I say? People are going to do what they're going to do. You're going to provide the service uh, for them. So I since uh, Javier, are you so what do you think about all this? Uh, not not you know loaning out your Bitcoin. I mean, it's such a precious commodity for someone in Venezuela to because there is trust involved. Like I'm trusting this dude in Canada to, <laughs> to give me my uh, to give me my Bitcoin back. And I know what you, you just said. You know, you've got it listed out there publicly that it, they can check. It's that proof of reserves, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, still there it is. It is third party risk, and I guess there are just some people. That, that need the dollar flow. I, I, so, I mean, Javier, what's your take on this? Well, uh, I, I really know Mauricio back, back when I was working with Crypto Noticias and I interviewed him. Uh, I interviewed him because the DeFi thing, you know, DeFi, um, yeah. the decentralized the, the finance in Ethereum. Um, and he was working on a project of the fight on Bitcoin. Uh, so I have to tell, to talk with the man. I contacted him and in our first conversation, he described this service and I have the same concern that you Adam had right now. I, I, I thought like, I don't want to give anybody my keys, not, not, not even my mommy. So wh why I will trust in Mauricio, even, uh, even if I think he's a cool guy, why, why to choose to work with him in a service like, like that? Well, in Venezuela, as you know, you, you can use Bolivars, you can use dollars, you can use pesos, you can use Bitcoin. So you, you save a little amount of Bitcoin, but if you need to to save, you you can use dollars too. So you prefer to expand uh, your Bolivars first. If you are saving in Bitcoins, you you must burn some Sats to get Bolivars. And the more sats you burn, the more you lost because Bolivar, every time you send Bolivar, you um, sell Bolivars, sell Bitcoin for Bolivars, you are losing money. Like uh, you, you are not using Bitcoin to save. So this is where I think that service as Leden could work to us. Like I don't want to spend the whole Bitcoin that I have, but I really need to get some believers that I can 
get exchanging the die for believers or maybe selling the dollar the dollars and you know i can hold more sats no don't don't need to sell all them that's that's the main thing that i talked with mauricio back then and recently i was talking with some clients of leaden some user of the service like I talked with him, he described how they're working with BitGo in this security problem. They are, they are working in, the, in a high level, custody level, and the people that use their services are happy with this. Like, I'm leaving my keys to Latin and I'm leaving them the... the, the his issues today but they are giving uh, the liquidity I may need and they also working with a high profile security provider so it's like you can choose to sell your bitcoins by your way or you can choose to use this kind of financial service this kind of DeFi on bitcoin to keep a little more sats I think that it's a question of the the approach of any of us. Like, I don't really want to give my keys, but if I need liquidity and I don't like to sell off uh, all my Bitcoin, I can use this kind of service. Yeah, now this, uh, you brought up DeFi, and I'm going to ask Mauricio, I got like a three-part question or three different questions for you. Uh, I, I DeFi is like the big buzzword of the day. So I want to hear your take on that because you're, you're clearly part of that ecosystem. What is this new product you just said, B2X? What's it called? BX something you said? Uh, yeah, so B- B2X is just a way of allowing people, a lot of people were using our, our Bitcoin back loans to buy more Bitcoin. And uh, what, what this does, so what, what was happening is they have a Bitcoin, they send it to us, we lend at 50% loan to value. So they, they gave us one Bitcoin, we lend them, uh, call it half a Bitcoin in dollars. They bought half a Bitcoin in dollars. They deposit half a Bitcoin. Then they take a quarter of a Bitcoin in dollars and they buy a quarter of a Bitcoin. And then they keep doing this. So what this B2X service does is that if you have one Bitcoin and the purpose of your loan is to buy more Bitcoin, we'll give you the max amount, which is that. So if you deposit one Bitcoin, we can loan you an equal amount to purchase an additional Bitcoin and purchase it on the spot. So basically you end up with double the Bitcoins that you deposited with us and a loan for the newly purchased one. And so that all gets locked up in custody and you have twice as much Bitcoin. Where, where are you guys coming up with this money to, to lend out and how are you guys making money on, on your end? That, that this is a- yeah, so our business is, like I mentioned earlier, the way we make money is we convince institutions to lend us dollars at a, at a rate that we then relend to our clients and we take a spread. So our business is to get uh, bigger, bigger institutions that have longer investment horizons and lower cost of capital. So we just recently announced a deal with Colchis Capital. They're one of the largest uh, financing companies out of San Francisco. They've, they've backed PayPal, they've backed uh, Square Payments. Uh, they're, so they're a very large company. That's the, really the kind of parties that we work with to access the dollars. And we essentially structure our custody and everything with them to show them that the dollars are giving us are protected by the Bitcoins that are placed as collateral. And, uh, and it's essentially we marry institutions. So we, we try to bring institutional capital and tools and, and make it so that retail people, retail Bitcoiners 
can use these tools to grow their businesses. Okay. Now, what's, what's your overall take on all this DeFi hype? Um, so the way I see DeFi, and I said this on, on Javier's uh, uh, interview way back, was to me what DeFi is, is a modern take on P2P uh, lending and P2P uh, essentially transactions. The issue with that, if you look at traditional finance today, is that P2P has a very hard time scaling. Uh, because you have to have a coincidence of wants on both sides uh, and you know, you know, the demands, it's just very tricky customer experience is very spotty. Uh, you know, you, you'll have to marry the guys that want to borrow at these rates where the guys that want to lend at these rates and there's no central coordinator. Um, so the, what, uh, so if you, for example, if you look at, let's just look at some numbers. If you look at like the whole DeFi, like all of the volumes uh, on DeFi today, which I have to double check, but I think it was somewhere around the neighborhood of $620 million, right? That's been what's been volumes through DeFi. If you compare that with a company, and that's lending, right? That's lending in the crypto space from one way or another, right? If you compare that with, for example, the volumes that a company like Genesis uh, Capital has, so Genesis is the largest uh, um, central market maker in the, in the Bitcoin industry, they've originated uh, $2.3 billion in loans in 18 months. So that's one company uh, that is four times all of DeFi. And there's several Genesis out there. So I guess all I'm trying to say is that the incentives, I believe, are better aligned uh, uh, as in, in the central uh, structure as far as lending goes, because you can coordinate more capital from larger regulated parties and disperse that to your clients. With DeFi, you have to aggregate a ton of supply and you have to aggregate a ton of demand and that's where you have a hard time scaling so as far as enabling uh i want to say exotic or innovative transactions DeFi has a place because it's a, it's a very it's very experimental it's not as, as regulatory constrained however as, as far as scaling it has a huge challenge and i think the services that do end up scaling in financial services are the ones that can be centralized and talk to regulators and comply and and increasingly get you know, larger and larger parties to work with. Right. So when, when we're talking DeFi also, a lot of people out there uh, are, are hyping it as uh, the way that it's, it's going to save Ethereum, basically. This is going to take Ethereum to the next level. Do, do you have thoughts on that aspect? I mean, we, we've been chalking just Bitcoin here so far, but you've got to have your hands in Ethereum here too a little bit if you if, uh, I mean, you're, do you only deal in loans that deal with Bitcoin? Is there collateral in Ethereum also, or do you take no. okay. only Bitcoin? We're a Bitcoin only company. The only other asset that we use and touch is our disbursements and DAI. And I'm more than happy to chat on Ethereum and stable coins in general as to why we chose DAI. Um, but, uh, but I think it's important for people to know we, we are the only <laughs> today Bitcoin only lending company still. Uh, and, and we've been so since day one. Uh, so we encourage people to save in Bitcoin and we are in the business of solving problems for our users. So when our users came into us saying, I'm having a hard time getting dollars, I need a stable coin. Uh, we went out and surveyed the stable coins that we could work with. Um, and you know, so just to touch on Ethereum briefly, um, what the DAI obviously is a company that works, uh, with a set of smart contracts and has, uh, a, a a very sophisticated, I want to say, way of arranging their incentives to keep their parity. Um, I, I don't know enough about, um, 
I mean, I'm not an expert in Ethereum and I'm not an expert in DAI. Uh, what I can say is when we surveyed the market for uh, stable coins, I have a feeling that there's a bit of this uh, drunk in their own success situation happening in stable coins today, similar to what was happening in ICOs back then, which is that ICOs were this way that you could get securities issued without going through securities regulator. And that didn't work. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I have a feeling that there's a lot of companies out there trying to create unstoppable dollars by putting these dollars in a bank account. And so I think this concept of unstoppable dollars works as long as the OFAC and the treasury don't really care where your dollars are. But the second that they start checking, your argument for an unstoppable dollar starts losing a lot of power because when OFAC can just go to your bank where your, all your funds are and say, I want to see an audit where every single token is held and how can you prove that that token is not in North Korea? Uh, so it, I think that there's going to be some issues with stable coins, right? Uh, especially when they get big. And uh, I think DAI is the only one that's kind of at least thought this through as far as you can say a lot of things about Ethereum, but you know, a regulator can't just go and seize up all the smart contracts, uh, at least as far as I know right now, they may be, but uh, you know, we do like this concept that they're not tied to dollars somewhere that, that are easily, uh, you know, easy to put their hands on. All right. Javier, you're a Bitcoin maximalist, basically, I'd say. Uh, so what's your take on Ethereum saving the world? Is, is, it, is, it going to, is there going to be a resurgence because of DeFi? I, I don't think that DeFi on Ethereum will be a, a bankless solution, a, a, the new way that we in the third or, or the seventh world we will use the financial services. And I think that Ethereum itself is facing big issues that they should solve to have this all big DeFi stuff running for enough time to help people. So I think that maybe the DeFi concept is just a way to Again, meet, meet Bitcoin, keep in touch with Bitcoin, or maybe find ways to use Bitcoin in this DeFi way. But Ethereum itself, I, I don't know. Like they, they were a world computer. Eth first was gas, then Eth now is money. They have this Eth. Two pound zero. They have many other problems besides the five problems. Yeah. So that people will use their services. The people will use those platforms because the curiosity, or maybe, or maybe their developers, or you know, like like an, an experiment. But no, it, this is not a solution. That's why, why I, I don't talk about service like, I don't know, Uniswap or, or, or things like that. Uh, and in Venezuela, we, we need powerful tools that could work in this kind of weird contest. And I don't think like Ethereum is a, a good way to to help the people, and that's why I don't 
encourage people to use the five products. Now, I, I, I want to go stick with you, Javier, because before the show, uh, we were DMing and you mentioned the, the ethos of Bitcoin as, as if as some people almost see it as like a religion. And it, it is a connecting force uh, to, uh, between people throughout the entire world that has actually gotten a lot of people interested in your situation in Venezuela. Um, you, you wanted to talk about that a little bit. Yes, like um, I, I, I'm a philosopher. I, 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 I'm not a journalist. I, I'm not an economist. I'm not a developer. I'm, uh, when I was in the university, I, I studied philosophy. So that's my main approach to Bitcoin. So that's why the ethos of Bitcoin is the the main thing that that make me a Bitcoiner. Like we are talking by the internet with people like I don't really know, like I don't really care who they are, but we are we share this vision that Bitcoin is a really powerful tool for the citizens of the world and we are in each of our countries, in each of our contests, working and searching and talking about Bitcoin with other people because we think that this movement, this currency, this digital gold, I don't know what, what, how do you want to name it, but we think like Bitcoin could help, help each of us in each of our contests. And this, this main idea, this ethos like we share in common is the, the way that, that I think we can help more people to use or to experiment with, with Bitcoin. Like is crypto, is Nakamoto, is many other things, but is a social movement. Like we don't need to be in the same place. We don't need to talk the same language. See, I, I'm a genius in Spanish, but my English is broke. So, but I don't really have to talk perfect English because we share a common ground. Like we can share our ideas on how it is impacting us or how it could lead us to a brighter future. And there, there are other people like have this idea on a deeper wave, like their, their Gigi, you know, this man of fear, like yeah. he, he's the, the, the more religious guy that I know on Twitter. And I don't really know their Gigi, but I follow him and I read his tweets and I, I feel those revelations as mine. Like, I feel Bitcoin as a religion too, but not in a faithful way. I think more in a relegare from the Latin, uh, more in a way of un unite the people, re reunite, reunite us in 
between or 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 a, around and a big idea that is bitcoin so we we have a a big movement around the world happening and we don't need to be the same people we don't need to be the same country we simply live in this religion movement well this is deep bitcoin philosophy you i i thank you for sharing all of that there because there are a lot of people that that see it and it is definitely they see it that way it is a it is definitely a connecting force no matter what your language is no matter where you are there is a, something that all these guys on twitter or wherever they something connecting us all together um, and it can be expressed in, in many different ways. So I, I, I thank you for your uh, philosophical uh, take on, on Bitcoin there. And you were talking about Gigi, right? G-I-G-I on Twitter? That, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that dude's, he's been on the show before. He's been on the show before. All right. Um, oh my God, hang on. We just, all right, good. You're still there. All right, Mauricio, we're getting toward the, uh, we're getting toward the end here. What is up with the Toronto Bitcoin scene? Do you have anything to, to share about that? Yeah, well, we just had our, uh, a second Bitcoin Fixes Everything meetup last night, uh, which is ourselves and uh, CoinKite uh, at Rodolfo and Nikkei. We had Peter Todd join us. We had a bunch of people show up. So it was uh, very interesting. Uh, it's getting bigger and bigger uh, every, every month. Uh, so, and, and we kind of, Rodolfo kind of spearheaded that. And when, you know, when he reached out and we were like, of course, like, let's do it. Uh, and uh, the scene is is growing. I mean, it's a, it's a scene that every every year gets bigger, gets more exciting. We had um, I don't know if you've been following, but Three IQ just got their first. Uh, well, they got uh, a very important approval from the Canadian regulator to launch uh, a Bitcoin fund in yes. the Canadian TSX. Yes, uh, which has gotten people here very excited. Um, there's also the regulation that's coming uh, in June next year, so people are working towards that. Uh, Obviously, things like Einstein don't leave a, a good taste in anyone's mouth, but uh, it is a community that's coming. These events bring a community closer and closer together. And as we're working towards uh, this draft or this legislation that's finally going to get passed next year, I think it's going to really allow companies to flourish. Uh, not necessarily because it, it will create some headwinds on some of the companies that aren't preparing for it, but those who are are going to be allowed to flourish because, again, I think what's what's missing right now is a framework, uh, and and I think the community is doing a great job at letting everyone in the in the country, I guess, know how important this is, and uh, the, the the our legislators seem to be listening. So the grassroots stuff keeps growing. Uh, we're getting some some complementary headwinds or sorry tailwinds from regulators. So I just think this community is only going to keep getting bigger and better. All right, Javier. Uh... Your concluding thoughts, Javier, and maybe tell us, besides your guys' uh, feeds, your Twitter feeds, where are some good places to get news out of what's really going on in uh, Venezuela with Bitcoin? Because we, we hear so many different things. Well, I do recommend people to read cryptonoticias.com. That is one of the biggest media outlets in Spanish. I work as a contributor with them, and you can read uh, Cointelegraph en Español, that is the Cointelegraph Spanish version, that have many writers that are here in Venezuela. We are a group of, I think, like five 
Venezuelan writers working from them. And uh, you should follow us on Twitter because there, there, there are no many good source of, of information. Like you will find news in big newspapers like El, like El Nacional or El Universal, but they don't have an expertise on cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin and their their approach is isn't quite quite qualificated. I, I think that if you want to read the the better the 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 more the most accurate information about Venezuela, the best way is to follow people like Mauricio, people like Diana Aguilar that it, that her handle is Crypto Diana, like uh, Jose Herrera. I, I think that we can share with you a yes. little list of yes. people that you can recommend to follow yeah. because besides Crypto Noticias or other media outlets, there, there is no more much, uh, I, I think, free speech or free uh, of communication like many of of the biggest media outlets in the country have facing problems to publish and information is a, a kind of goal here so the, the better way to get it is to follow the the, the ones who is taking this work well, I, I, you guys, please, after the show, well, send me, send me your links. I, everybody check out the links below. All their links that they send me are going to be there. So thank you very much, Javier. Mauricio, you're going to get the final word today. Uh, what are your closing thoughts? Anything you wanted to add? Something that got left out? A story you wanted to mention? To talk about the business? Anything? The, the Petro is everything Bitcoin stands against. Uh, and I just think that we should uh, take a look and, and just try as best as we can to let the, the Venezuelan people know what's going on and how they can protect themselves. And I think that's, that's what we're all working to do. So I, I, I think it's important for us to keep an eye out because there's some really bad people trying to take everything that we've built as far as tech and using it for bad reasons. Wow. All right, everybody. Pound that like button for this show. It was a very special Venezuelan Latin American edition. You got to hear all sorts of world news that you don't hear anywhere else in the space. That's what I love to bring you. The best guests in the space on the ground, international type of, type of stuff. We do this This Week in Bitcoin show every single Friday. Every day of the week, I do a new show, the One Bitcoin show. Saturday is the Beyond Bitcoin show. So keep on tuning in, people. My elite my elite friends out there. I am Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister. This is Meister. Remember to subscribe to the channel, like, review, share this video, check out the links below. Thanks again, guys, for being on the show. Check out their very important links below. Shabbat shalom. I'll see you guys uh, tomorrow. Bye-bye. See ya. <laughs>